and knelt in front of Jesus begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing and said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. And then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. Don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you and take along the offering required by the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. But the man went and spread the word anyways, proclaiming to everyone that it, what had happened. And as a result, large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anymore. <laughs> He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. Do you think Jesus was mad at him for telling his story? I don't. I think he didn't want Jesus to tell him, tell them right then and right there because he had other things that he had planned, and he, and he knew what would happen if he did. But God wants us to tell our story where he has shown up and done incredible things. Jeremiah chapter 20 says that, um, said, if you ask me to stop talking about God, I don't think I can. If you ask me to stop, it will consume me like a burning fire. It will burn my bones and will engulf me. The flame, it has to come out. It has to be told. Our faith exists because people are willing to tell their stories. Remember that Jesus died 2,000 years ago, but because people, we are continuing to tell his story and tell the story of his work in our lives, the gospel lives. Amen? Today, we are starting the first of a series called This Is My Story, as I hope it will be a group of people just talking about where God has shown up in their lives in big ways. I hope to do this throughout the year, this year and next year and beyond, because as much as I love to talk, God's got more than just my story going on in here. And we should be an encouragement to one another. And so, Jeremy, you can come up now. Jeremy has offered to come speak today. Well, I asked him to come speak today. And uh, he graciously said yes. Jeremy Ryan and his lovely wife, Lisette, are here today. Jeremy works at Shine FM. What's your title? I don't really know. Anything that anybody else doesn't want to do. There you go. That's, that's a <laughs> that's, that's my title. That's real. I'm kidding. Wow. So, anyways. So, Jeremy, I'm going to pray for him real quick, and then he is going to do exactly what we discussed. He's going to tell his story today with all of its highs and its lows and its ups and its downs, and listen for God because he's there. So, let's pray. Father God, I pray that you will give Jeremy the words today, the words to speak that you will overflow out of him, that it will be your thoughts, your desires, that will tell of your greatness and your love, and you will give him the courage to be honest where he needs to be, and the discernment to be quiet where he needs to be. God, I thank you for Jeremy and for his strength and his witness. It is in Jesus' holy name that I pray, amen. Well, thank you, Rob. 
I was gonna do the whole, um, is this thing on awkwardness at the beginning, but I guess I don't have to do that now. So good morning, as Rob said, my name is Jeremy Ryan. Um, my, and as he said, even though I've got it written here, I'm still gonna do it again. Uh, my beautiful wife is uh, out here this morning, and I thank her for her support. And uh, as I talked today, uh, she was a big part and a, a rock through everything that, that you're gonna hear. Um, there's a lot of familiar faces that I see here today, some that I know through you know, church events over the years. In fact, this is actually the second time I've spoken at this church. Um, about 20 years ago, <laughs> 20 years ago, I spoke over in the other side back at a little thing called the fire escape at a youth thing years ago. So um, it's, it's nice to be back. Um, some of you uh, may uh, know me through either church events or um, Shine FM events. Obviously, I work there, and I do a lot of help with concerts and, and things like that. And uh, some of you know me through uh, the Church Bowling League. Um, I know some of you uh, from playing softball out back here, and for that, I greatly apologize. <laughs> so now that we got that out of the way. Um, I'd like to tell you a story about a kid born in Antarctica and raised by a colony of penguins. But that's not my story. That's somebody else's, and you may or may not hear that in another time. I accepted Christ into my life when I was about three or four years old, which means that I've been a Christian for most of my life. My family, my dad, mom, and my brother, Jeff, who's two years younger than I, uh, went to church regularly. Uh, my dad was a uh, parking lot attendant, and, which meant that we had to get to church before everybody else because he was there to park the very first car every Sunday morning. My mom worked in the nursery and volunteered there and played and napped and uh, uh, took care of other people's kids during the service. I had an awesome Sunday school teacher uh, at that age that, uh, his, his name is Mr. Rich Ring. I'll, I'll never forget Rich. He uh, taught me and the rest of the class Bible verses. Uh, each, and, each and every week we would work on them. And uh, uh, on the ride home every week, I'd recite what I had memorized that day from the Bible verses. And hearing me do this each week gave my father an idea. I've heard him say, if Mr. Ring could teach Jeremy Bible verses, seeing him only once a week, then maybe I could, keep, could teach Jeremy, and I see him every day. And so, Dad and I would have story time every night. We would sit on the edge of my bed, and we would talk. And he would help me learn scripture. It went something like this. Hello. Hi. What's your name? Jeremy Lion. And how old are you, Jeremy? Four. Do you know any Bible verses? Yeah. Uh, would you like to say some for me? Yeah. Can you say John 14, 6? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can live unto the Father but by me. Wow, that is terrific. Can you say one in Galatians? 
Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's very good. Hello. Hi. What's your Man, I used to be so cute. <laughs> Every time I hear that, it's like, man, my little voice. <laughs> well, one night while talking, Dad and I, Dad had asked me if I knew what these verses meant and asked me if I wanted to accept Jesus into my heart. The rest, as they say, is history. I learned at a very early age what it meant to believe in God and what it meant to give my life to Christ and to live for Him. So I grew up in the church, sang in different choirs, helped with our puppet ministry, uh, went to church camp, started teaching Sunday school before I was out of high school. And then, uh, of course, you know, very active, as you could, could tell. After high school was college, which we are totally going to skip over. <laughs> However, I will say that because of you know, the upbringing in Christ and being active in church, I did stay out of a lot of trouble that I surely could have gone into. So we leave that at that. Um, anyway, in 1995, I moved from Northeast Ohio down here to this area and have been involved in church or churches uh, ever since. Now, growing up, I didn't think much about um, what was going on around me as far as how people uh, did things or why you know, people did things. You know, as a kid, sometimes you don't understand those things. Um, at least I didn't understand that. You know, I could look back now and go, oh, all right. But I didn't have that mental capacity. I didn't understand why I didn't get to see my grandma Ryan very much, my dad's mom. Uh, she lived just, you know, 40 minutes away. But I got to see her maybe once a month. Um, I didn't get to see my aunt and uncles on my dad's side very often. And I never understood why, except I knew I had an aunt in Texas, I had an uncle in Florida. But when they were up, even then, I still didn't get to see them much. All of our holidays and birthdays were spent at my other grandparents' house, on my mom's side. I didn't question it. It was okay. And that's what I knew. I also remember being shielded from violence when I was a kid unless it was, you know, the Roadrunner and Coyote, or the Transformers. You know, because those, those were cartoons. It was fake, and that stuff was okay. In fact, growing up, I wasn't allowed to do this, you know, and make a gun with my fingers. That was a no-no, okay? We weren't allowed to do that, my brother and I, or even pick up a stick off the ground and turn it into a gun. No cops and robbers. No cowboys and Indians, because violence was never the answer. Growing up, I watched some of my friends' parents get divorced, and it made me sad for them, but I always felt lucky that my parents never split up. They fought quite a bit, but at least they were still together. I remember on more than one occasion that my brother Jeff and I would talk about how he would go with mom 
and I would go with my dad had they ever divorced. That's just the way it was, and we knew it. Well, about four and a half years ago, I found out that after 40-plus years of marriage, my parents were, in fact, getting separated. I don't know how kids handle those things, because as, as an adult, I was crushed. I didn't like the idea. But with the amount of fighting that was going on in that household, divorce sure seemed like the better option. Both mom and dad could then move on with their own lives, do their own thing, and maybe be happy. Oh, by the way, my 38-year-old brother still living at home. No job, no responsibilities, and a conditioned hatred for the guy that he wouldn't even call dad. Mom and Jeff were, as she told me later, buddies. So the divorce would have been finalized on May 28th of 2015, except it never got to that point. On May 6th, at exactly 5.06 in the afternoon, I received a text from my cousin Nathan down in West Virginia that said, praying for you guys, we love you. My reply was, thanks. I appreciate the random text and prayer. Dot, dot, dot. Or is there something that I don't know? Smiley face, love you too. To which his reply was, oh no, I assumed you knew. I didn't know. That day, on May 6th, three days after his 66th birthday, dad was moving his belongings out of the house after enlisting the help of a couple of friends and his older brother. They had nearly removed all of his stuff when he went back inside for one last thing, which sat on a shelf in the living room, just above the chair that my brother normally sat in. Now, I didn't realize it at the time, but this item was such a point of contention between my parents. It was a boat, a little clipper ship, about, about this big. And what was special about it was that my dad built it when he was in the service, out of matchsticks, glue, a little bit of thread, and some pieces from a torn-up sheet. The story goes that Dad had built the boat for his mother, but ended up naming the boat after and giving it to the girl that would eventually become his wife and my mother. So Dad wanted to go in the house and take it with him, but Mom wanted it to stay. So Dad walked into the living room, approached my brother's chair, put his arms up in the air to take the boat off the shelf. That's when my brother pulled the gun from him beside the chair. And after a short struggle with Dad, pulled the trigger. I was home alone, and I found out over the phone that my dad had died. At first, I was in shock and couldn't believe what I had just heard. But when I shut my phone off, I hit the floor in tears. This can't be real. 
This doesn't happen to my family. This happens in the movies. This happens on TV. This happens in the inner city, in Columbus, and in Dayton. But this doesn't happen to my family, and this doesn't happen to me. But it did. Once I picked myself up off the floor, I headed over to the neighbor's house. Now, my neighbors were an older couple, and the husband, Jim, was a retired pastor. I didn't see him outside very much or have much interaction with him, but he had told me one time that if I needed anything, anything at all, to come knock on his door. So it's the first thing that popped in my mind. I got up off the floor and immediately went over to Jim's house. Jim sat with me, and he listened to my every blubbering word. But the best thing he did was to open up the Word of God. He shared scriptures about peace and about heaven, and then prayed with me before I ended up going back to the house. I visited my brother in jail four days later. And going in, I decided I wasn't going to do the whole cliche, put my hand up to the glass thing, like you see in movies and on TV. But I did. After entering the room on the other side of the glass, Jeff ran to the glass, his eyes full of tears and out of breath, and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And as mad as I was at him, all I saw through his beard and his long hair was the kid that I grew up with. I saw the guy who is the best man at my wedding. I saw the guy who quit smoking so that he could go on a trip with me, which was his very first plane flight. I saw the guy who I took to his very first and only Ohio State football game in the shoe against that team up north. He was still my brother. So instead of being mad, I did the only thing that I knew to do at the moment and talked about how he needed Jesus in his life more now than ever. That this didn't have to be the end of anything, but it could be the beginning of something better, of something new, of something beautiful and exciting in renewing his relationship with Christ. Although my mom was the executor of my dad's will, she wanted me to, take, to make all the arrangements in regards to dad's death and the memorial service. So I accepted. It turns out that I didn't know my mom or my family on that side quite as well as I thought. You see, over the next year, prior to and during my brother's trial, mom did everything in her power to control and manipulate every single thing that she could. For instance, because my dad's body was getting ready to be cremated, which was his wish, uh, mother told me that she was allowing for a special time for dad's family to be able to get together where they could see the body and... Um, 
you know, be able to have some closure there. What she didn't tell me in her plan was that she didn't want any of my dad's family at the public memorial service that I was planning. Needless to say, when I talked to her later, she was mad. She was hot when she found out that they knew about the service. I sat there and listened to her every insult, which seemed endless. Her sister was there also for that conversation. And from the look that I saw in both of their eyes and the tone that came from both of their voices, I will tell you, I would swear that they were both possessed by demons. And that is not a lie. The hatred that spewed from their mouths was real, and it hurt. It cut deep. I, still, I sat still in prayer during those moments, which seemed like forever. My wife was there, sat across the room in prayer. Aside from them wanting to know how they knew about the service, I only remember one other thing that my mother said in that meeting, and she stared me, stared at me in the eyes, and in that same tone of voice said, I have zero love lost for the fact that your dad is dead. Because of that conversation, I ended up canceling the memorial service. My dad was the kind of guy who didn't like to be paraded over. He did things in the background. He served a lot. Did a lot of stuff in the background at church, at church, you know, at the church camp. Did a lot of stuff, but wasn't one for accolades. And I decided that um, he would be okay with it because of what was going on. Um, I wasn't going to allow my mom or Satan, to, I didn't call my mom Satan, I'm just clarifying that, but I wasn't going to allow mom or Satan to manipulate and control me or allow her to pit me against the other side of the family. I was not going to do that. As time uh, passed and it was, uh, you know, she was working with my brother uh, on the trial stuff, she called me to ask me for things that she wanted to use as evidence at my brother's trial. Um, at the age of 13, I'd written a hate letter to my dad, which he kept, and I found when I came home from college one year. Um, but that, ender, that letter ended up bringing my dad and I closer together, and it ended up uh, bonding us um, in a much better relationship than what... I felt like we had at that age. Um, first of all, you know, what kid doesn't hate their parents at some point of their life? Okay. But second of all, if I had that letter, I sure as heck wasn't going to give it to her to use against me. Um, I didn't have it, but she ended up finding it. And, uh, it's interesting because, in my opinion, um, 
I think it did get brought up in court and um, it ended up backfiring for them, for the, the defense. Um, ended up not being a good thing for them. Court, yeah. I was sent a subpoena to testify against my brother. Just defense was that our father was abusive toward him and towards his mother. In fact, that was their case. And Jeff shooting dad was in self-defense. But there wasn't any evidence that they could bring forward that would prove it. No records from the hospital over the years. Nothing from the police station. No witnesses. Really, honestly, truly, nothing. Nothing that showed any bruising or abuse at all. Just a whole lot of he said, she said. My dad's friend, Gary, testified also. Gary was there helping move stuff out of the house. When dad told his friends outside that he was going to go back in the house and get the boat, Gary heard a voice say, you need to follow him in. So Gary did, and he saw the whole thing happen. A lot of us believe that that voice Gary heard was the Holy Spirit. And had he not gone in after dad, I believe that my brother would have literally gotten away with murder. I did a lot of praying before and during that trial. I had started by praying that God would hear what I wanted the outcome to be. Because, of course, it was my brother, and it was my dad. It was my family. So, of course, I would know best, right? I wanted Jeff to be found guilty, and I wanted his sentence to be the maximum sentence allowed. I mean, the dude did not take a plea deal. He needs the max, right? That's what I wanted. And because of the toxic relationship that my mom and my brother both had with each other, because, and, and I've said it, I feel like my brother and my mom had a better marriage than what my parents did. It's very sad. But because of that relationship, I wanted Jeff to be in prison longer than my brother was alive. To me, that felt like a good punishment for my mother. I also found out later that the cops were trying to uh, arrest her on an accessory to murder, and they didn't have enough evidence to do so. But to me, that felt like it was what needed to be happening. So that's what I wanted. I took the stand, and I testified by far the toughest thing I've had to do in my entire life. When that was over, I went back to the little holding room that I'd been in all day and found out that I could possibly be used as a rebuttal witness. Now, if nobody knows what a rebuttal witness is. It means I still can't go in there and listen to the rest of the, the court, the trial, which is what I was hoping to do. I had to be in this little holding, I don't want to call it a cell, but this little holding room and uh, be away and... Uh, when I found that out, uh, found out that I could be a rebuttal witness for my mom and my brother, I was like, crap, 
I want to do this. But it ended up changing the way that I prayed. In a lot of ways, God has softened my heart and my prayers changed from, this is what I want, God, to, God, you know that having me have to rebuttal anything my mom and my brother say isn't going to help my relationship with them from here on out. Not that we had a good relationship anyway at this point, but I didn't want to make it any worse. I don't want to do this, God. You know I don't, but not my will, but yours be done. I had to let go and let God do his thing. I really honestly had zero control in any of the decisions that were being made. I did testify, said what I needed to do, say, to tell the truth. But other than that, it wasn't in my, my patrol. I'm pretty sure that I prayed that prayer for five straight hours the day that Mom and Jeff testified on the stand. Not my will, but yours be done. Soon after my brother testified, I found out that I wasn't needed. Thank you, Jesus. And it seemed that, and I was told later on, that my mom and my brother ended up being their prosecution, some of the prosecution's best witnesses because their stuff didn't match up. After the final arguments of the case were over, I called my wife to update her on what was going on. She proceeded to start telling me that she was be praying that Jeff would get the maximum sentence, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. She's like, what? I said, hon, God's taught me a few things. We need to start praying for God's will. Okay, we can't be selfish in this. God does know our hearts. God knows how we feel. But we need to start praying God's will in all things. Pray that when the verdict comes back, that it's God's will for Jeff. Pray that when he receives his sentence, that it's what God wants for Jeff here on earth for his punishment. And pray that whatever the outcome of all this, that God's will be done and that we can move forward in our lives with some kind of peace. To which she, she did. I also added uh, that I didn't want her answering any phone calls or looking at any texts from any Facebook messages, anything from my mom's side of the family. After hearing the closing arguments and standing up to say a few things in court on behalf of my dad's family, which my mother and my aunt did not like at all, um, I figured that things could get pretty ugly. And so I wanted to filter everything before she read it because she didn't need to deal with certain things. As a husband, I wanted to protect my wife from a lot of it. That next morning, around 7.40 a.m., I was getting dressed and ready to head to the courthouse when I received a text from Lisette. She had received a message via instant messenger from my mother and was wanting me to be aware of it. Surprise. That day, my brother was found guilty of aggravated murder 
and is sentenced to 30 years to life in prison. He also received an extra three years for the gun charge. So he is currently serving 33 years before he gets the opportunity for parole. I was staying with my mother-in-law during that time, so after I got home that afternoon, I checked on the message that mom had sent to my wife, and here's exactly what it said. Right now, I never want to see Jeremy again. Hope you all enjoy the Ryan relatives. Rewriting my will as soon as I can. I have loved you like my own. Jeremy lied on the stand. Enjoy your husband who lives in his own little world. Gee, thanks, Mom. I lied on the stand. I lied on the stand? She wasn't in there to hear that. Which, you know, unless she sent somebody in to listen to my testimony to report back to her, since the rule is you're not supposed to know anything that's happened in the courtroom until you testify. So it seems that even during the trial, my mother was trying to manipulate things. The following day, a text was sent to my phone from my mom's sister. At the time it showed up, I was sitting in the office of the youth pastor at the church my parents used to go to, which was a good thing that I was there because of the contents of this text. I'm only going to share a few things from this one for good reason, uh, but uh, here, here are a few quotes from her. This is the last time you will ever hear from me. So far, she's perfect. She hasn't contacted me since. As far as I'm concerned, you are dead to me. You are no longer a member of this family. Like, that's her decision. Have a good life with your dysfunctional Ryan family. And then she goes on to trash talk my dad and tell me how worthless he was when he was alive. It's been said that tragic events do one of two things. Either they take families and blow them apart, or they bring families closer together. Through all of this, I've seen both sides. I now have very little to no contact with my mom's side of the family. From the moment dad died, through the completion of the trial, my mother and her side of the family have shown me, dad's side of the family, and others nothing but hatred and nastiness. Mom has been vindictive, mean, and manipulated, and has cut off relationships, not just with me, but with many lifelong friends because they don't agree with her. Of course, to me, that's the narcissism in her. I don't trust her. But she and the family have all pretty much disappeared from my life. Now, there is a part of that family, that side of the family that uh, didn't get involved and didn't take sides. And that's my cousin Nathan that sent me that first original text before I found out Dad died. 
we're still on great terms. Now, you look at that, let's look at the other side. My dad's family, who lost a son, who lost a brother, and who had every right to be mad and hateful, attacked this issue with love and grace and care for me, for each other, And they showed forgiveness for my mom, my brother, and the other family as well. The family that I rarely got to see growing up came together in love. I have a great relationship with that side of the family now. In fact, I've spent more time with them in the last four years that I ever knew I was allowed to or could the previous 40 of my life. Over time, with God's help, relationships can be prepared. I do believe that. Although, some relationships will never be what they once were. I have forgiven my mother. I've forgiven my brother. I have forgiven my aunt plus others on my mom's side of the family for their part in my father's death. Now, that doesn't mean I still don't have feelings, but feelings, they come and they go. They're not permanent. I can live a life full of joy, and that is what I choose to do. There are still things that I don't understand about all of this, And I've come to conclude that I probably never will. First, how can someone have so much hatred for another person that the only answer is to shoot and kill when that person is literally getting ready to walk out the door and out of your life forever? I don't get it. I don't understand what that hatred feels like. Also, how did we go from not allowing this in the house to a family member murdering another family member in that same house? How how do you go from one extreme to the other? Again, I don't know. What I do know, what I believe is the difference is that I've got Jesus. I've got Jesus. And the reason I have Jesus is because of that foundation that my dad helped me build when I was just a kid. Some 41 years ago. I've got Jesus. And I know Dad had Jesus too. All I have to do is open up this Bible right here. It's the Bible I use now. It used to be my dad's. You open it up to almost any page, and you can see the amount of pen marks there are in it, stuff that's underlined, the stuff where, where Dad was tracing the letters of Scripture. You see in the columns where he wrote different things, 
Help me to be more Christ-like. Help me to love you more. Help me to do this or that. Almost anywhere you open this Bible up to, you'll see that. I know that he loved God. He was seeking to be more like Christ. And on that day in May, Dad got to meet Christ face to face. I don't know why Dad had to die. But through the adversity that I've dealt with, I am a much better version of me because of my knowledge and my faith in Christ. I may not know the plan that's been laid out in front of me, but I do know the plan maker. So where, where do I go from here? How am I moving forward? Well, as you hear a four-year-old me recite earlier, Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. You see, that's how, that's how I choose to go from, from this. I choose each day to walk in faith that God, the God who loves me and gave himself for me will take care of me because of that foundation. Regardless of what this life may bring, I choose to live in faith and trust God in all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, I just thank you for this day and this opportunity to share you. Lord, we all have struggles, we all have trials, we all have we all have things in our lives that just doesn't look like we can get over or through. Lord, I, I know, Lord, that you are on the other side of those things. That you are reaching out to say, grab my hand, let me help you through this. Help us to do that, to rely on you in the times of trials. Help us to love you more and get to know you more each and every day. Lord, I thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you all please stand? I'm an emotional guy. Have you met me? Thank you, Jeremy, for doing that. Um, we close our services here uh, with a time. It's our family prayer time. And uh, there's a part of me that says no, but I, I think that what we've learned from listening to Jeremy's testimony is that God hears our prayers. Our God is powerful and present. And uh, as Jeremy said, on the other side of those difficulties, you find him. You find him reaching for you. 
And so I'm going to offer some public prayers, some prayers that were taken this morning. We have quite a list today. So I would ask you that, that you trust in his will, trust in his desires for you and for the people on this list and trust that whatever is going on, the plan on the other side, they will find him. I'd like to pray first for uh, Tisha Young. It's a praise. Praise God for Tisha Young's surgery. Uh, Justin says it went very well. And she is healing nicely. We have prayers today for uh, Tony. Tony Beatty. He blew out his back. Herniated a disc. We pray for that pain to, to subside, for that to be resolved. Uh, Holly would like to pray for the 5K that's happening today and honor of her cousin Ivy and for the troops always for the troops we need them home Susan Bechtel would like to pray for Jeannie she has health problems and and it wants to see her mom in May and that may be difficult because of those problems like to pray for a John Schroyer today for a double knee replacement that he has coming. That the doctors might guide his hands. Beth Plank has asked for prayers for her sister Marna with problems with her chemotherapy. That uh, God with God's hand would be on that. Melanie Eason has asked for prayers for Heather Reister. The cancer that we've been praying for over the last couple of weeks has spread. It's everywhere. She's 29 years old and has two small children. I'd also like to pray for Melanie's mother-in-law, Ann Easton. Uh, she's 89 years old and broke a rib the other day, and they don't know how. Barb has asked for prayers for Lee Wallace. Uh, he has pneumonia and heart challenges that are increasing and making it difficult. I'd also like to pray for Brenda Comer. She's reacting to medication she's on, and it's not good. Gary Hudson asked for prayers for his son-in-law, Jim. He's got lung cancer and approaching radiation. He's already had one lung removed. Um, I would like to say thank you, Lord, that Jim and Bonnie are home. And uh, Jim gave us a scare in Florida. I'm glad they're back. I'm glad Bob and Shirley are back. So thankful they returned safely. Greg Culp has asked for special prayers for Young Life today. If you don't know what Young Life is, it is an amazing group uh, of people that seek to reach kids that and young adults that are not being reached any other way. And so they meet them where they are. We pray for people, for volunteers to be involved and for the funds to fund many of the activities they would like to have. Their goal is to hire a full-time person um, and place them beginning in uh, Indian Lake and spread across the county. I'd also like to read a prayer from or a card from Charlotte Jackson. It says, Dear church family, your support during this difficult time in our lives has been amazing. A special thank you to Pastor Rob for the funeral service, but the dinner prepared by the ladies was awesome. I love the wind chimes. Your kindness will never be forgotten. And it says, during a time like this, we learn how much our friends and relatives, what they really mean to us. And your expression of sympathy will always be treasured. Charlotte Jackson, 
and family. Are there any other prayers that occurred to you during the service you feel like need to be lifted up? Then I will, I will close this in prayer. And if you need prayer, if you want to pray privately, I'll be up here after the service. Please come pray with me. I'd be happy to walk through anything you need. Let's close. Father God, we are thankful for your love. We are thankful for the testimony of Jeremy and Lisette and the going through something that most of us can't even imagine. But the testimony that his knowledge of you, his salvation from you, his faith in you has carried him through in ways that he couldn't have even imagined. Father, all these prayers that we've listed for you today, we know you know them. We know it is your will that must be done in all things. We pray for mercy on those who are in pain, and we pay for, pray for grace for those who have made mistakes. We are thankful for your love, your enduring love, your incomparable love. As we go forward this week, I pray that we will be mindful of your presence, that we will cultivate your presence, that we will lay a strong foundation upon which to build, one that shall not move, one that can take anything that comes its way, because you, God, are our rock. Lord God, we thank you for your love, your strength, your mercy, and your grace. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. Everybody have a wonderful week.